Hey guys, welcome to Fiction Fixation. We're your hosts. I'm Courtney. And I'm Rose. And what are we talking about this week, Courtney? We are talking about a movie on Hulu called Love and Monsters. So this movie is set in a post-apocalyptic world. Mm -hmm. Basically, there was an asteroid heading for Earth. The world did what we do best, and we blew it up with rockets. We blew it up with rockets, um, but there was an unforeseen side effect, which is that it released chemicals, chemical fallout, and it's so it's it's very specific. Okay, so this chemical fallout it caused cold-blooded animals to mutate into like large monsters mm-hmm. that developed a taste for human blood. <laughs> so it's like very specific. It didn't affect yeah. it didn't affect humans, but like bugs and cold-blooded animals suddenly were huge monsters. Snakes, frogs, lizards. Mm-hmm. Listen, I don't, I don't have a plan in my binder for an event such as this with giant bugs and snakes. I don't think you need to get this specific. Uh, I think a general post-apocalyptic plan because it's all kind of the same. Like if it, if it's if it's mutated bugs or zombies or mm-hmm. a plague, like it's you still kind of. You still have to do the same thing. You still have to go underground and build a fortress. And... I mean, I guess, but then I have to worry about the bugs that are already in my basement. Yeah. When things really started going downhill, our hero, Joel, was actually getting ready to do the dirty with his girlfriend, Amy, and the sirens started going off. So, like, reasonable people, they're like, we should probably stop. Well, yeah. Well, he was on a cliff, uh, you know, kind of one of those makeout points with his girlfriend, Amy. And yeah, they were about to climb into the back seat when suddenly they heard sirens and they look over the hill and there are freaking rockets being shot up into the sky. And they're like, wow, this doesn't look safe. This looks a little strange. Let's go home just to be safe. She drives him home and his parents are freaking out in the driveway like we got to get out of here. And I don't really mm-hmm. I'm kind of confused like where are you where are you going? I don't really get it. I don't know. I think that's human nature. They were like flee. Danger, flee, fight or flight. Yeah. They get separated because Amy has to go to her family. Yeah, they were 16 at this time. So Amy had to go home to her family and Joel, our hero, he went home to his family. Unfortunately, in the chaos of trying to flee, um, Joel's parents didn't make it. They were crushed by some giant bug. Do you know what I kept thinking mm-hmm. about? So, what? you know, the movie is called Love and Monsters. And and let me tell mm-hmm. you, it's heavy on the monsters and very light on the love. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but what I kept thinking is that with these giant all the with all the bugs in the world turning into monsters it just reinforced my personal policy to not kill bugs mm-hmm. i always like if i find a spider in the house i try to take it outside and then i whisper to it like tell your friends i am i am your friend <laughs> you know so i i feel like if it came to this the bugs they would yeah. be like hey don't eat her she's cool I, I guess that's a good policy, you know, like be kind to the bugs and hope that they communicate to the other bugs. Hey. So are the movie really starts seven years after the 
meteor incidents and seven years after all of that. Mm-hmm. And humans are living underground now. They're living in bunkers and caves and panic rooms. They're called colonies. Mm-hmm. There's a handful of different colonies around the United States. And they communicate using like CB radios like truckers would use. Do you own a radio, by the way? Not yet. If the cell towers went down, we would have no way of knowing what is happening in the world. No, we wouldn't. Because nobody has radios. We have walkie-talkies, but they only have like a five-mile range. Yeah. Girl, I'm getting a radio on Amazon. I'm, I'm, I'm literally looking at them right now. Are you looking at them right now? I love uh, that we are taking our our weekly dates here on Zoom and we are using them to fear monger. <laughs> I mean, listen, if they don't already know that we're fucking crazy, that's their problem. <laughs> hey, this like, is... Like, listen, guys. It's the crazy bus, all right? Seven years later... Joel is in with a colony, and he's been looking for Amy for the past seven years. You know, he's been trying to contact her on the radio, but he doesn't know if she survived, where she is, how far away she is. You know, he doesn't know what's going on because the last time they saw each other was when they hugged goodbye before they fled with their families. Do you know, the odds are also not in her favor because he says that 90% of humans were killed mm-hmm. by bugs and creatures and these monsters, these mutant monsters. So like, what are the odds? If 90% of humans right. were wiped from the earth, like what are the odds that this girl is still alive? I mean, apparently better than most people's because he finally finds her. Yeah. He starts calling, you know, he uses the radio and he makes contact with all the colonies that he can make contact with. And he finally finds her. And I have to say, girl, she doesn't sound like that excited to hear from him. (laughs) You know, he's like, oh, my God, Amy, it's you. And she's like, oh, Joel. Yeah. Hey, what up? Oh, it's so awkward. Their conversation reads like an awkward text message. Like it reads like he just asked her to take one of her earbuds out while she was like at a Starbucks. <laughs> oh my god. Like he tapped her shoulder and she was like reading a book and listening to music. Uh-huh. Girlfriend is not excited to be reunited over radio with her long-lost high school love. It's been 7 years and the thing is that Joel has not moved on. He Uh -uh. has thought about Amy every single day, and he actually writes letters to her every single day. He is so gone for this girl. Seven years, girl. Seven years. Mm. But he's also surrounded by couples, so I think that has something to do with it. Yeah, and he says that, you know, it feels really awkward to be the only single person in a colony full of couples, you know? And I get it. It's probably super... Weird. That's super lonely. Yeah. But he can't realistically expect that Amy waited for him in an apocalypse. I'm sorry. My husband cannot expect me to wait for him in an apocalypse for seven years. Do you know what I mean? Like, if I don't hear from my husband in seven years, honey, I've moved on. I need to repopulate (laughs) the earth, you know? (laughs) Listen, I will not be repopulating the earth. Um (laughs) Trust me, it's for the best. Well, I think, you know, 
in this situation where it's a post-apocalyptic world, like I would, I would pop out babies to repopulate the earth because ostensibly I'm not the only one taking care of them. It's like a community, like I'm doing a service for the community. No, listen, there's not Lexapro after the apocalypse, <laughs> oh, all right? Oh we do not need. Can you imagine being stuck with your kids in a bunker, like being stuck with your 12 kids in a bunker because you've been repopulating the earth? No, thank you. That population would dwindle so quick. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you had 12 kids. Yeah. You must have miscounted. <laughs> you know, um, two of them just sort of like... I sent them outside. <laughs> Um, everyone in Joel's colony has a job and a lot of them, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, these people obviously are survivors. So yeah, they go out there and they forage for food and they're Mm -hmm. used to coming face to face with creatures and killing them. Yeah. And Joel doesn't contribute as much as he would like to. Um, Joel makes the soup. He makes, what is it? What does he call it? The minestrone. Minestrone soup. Yeah, Joel makes the minestrone, Joel milks the cow, and Joel fixes the radio. That's essentially what Joel does. He is not um he is not equipped to handle the outside world. He has this paralyzing anxiety. Like literally he freezes. And we see it because mm-hmm. even though they live in this bunker, there's been a breach. And so we see this giant, what is it, like a roach or something crazy? It's like a yeah, it's like a roach ant thing that's like eight feet tall. It breaks into their colony and Joel goes out to help the other guys. Uh huh. He just freezes when he comes face to face with the monster. Yeah, he so he has his crossbow up to like shoot this thing, and he just starts shaking and sweating. And somebody comes up behind him. One of the women from the colony. She looks like Laura Croft, so of course she knows how to shoot a crossbow. (laughs) Yeah. She comes up behind Joel, shoots the roach, and then another guy comes up and beheads it. And Joel just turns and goes, did I shoot it or did you shoot it? And she goes, what do you think? (laughs) What do you think, Joel? Like, it's crazy because he's this able-bodied, you know, young man and he's not contributing, like, physically the way he should. He makes the soup. He makes soup. And it's like, that's cool, man, but you should be out there killing monsters. Yeah, and I get it. But also, I don't really want to, like, pigeonhole him, like, to traditional gender roles, you know? Like, soup is important, milking the cow is important, and fixing the radio is important. He's contributing, just not the way the other people in his colony really feel like he should be. You're right. Well, you know, after Joel makes contact with Amy, I think Mm -hmm. that was kind of a catalyst for him because he's just realizing, like, what am I doing here? I'm not contributing. Everyone's in love. I'm so lonely. Uh And I feel he feels like an outsider within his colony, And he also feels useless. Yeah. You know, he tells them, like, guys, I, you don't need me. They're like, yes, we do. Who else will make the soup? (laughs) Who will fix the radio? And they they have, like, a rehearsed speech that they're like, Joel, you contribute so much. But you need to realize that outside, you're a liability. You need to stay inside with the women and children. He has it set in his head that... He wants to reunite with Amy. Yeah. The problem is that Amy's colony is 90 miles away. 
Yeah. He tells his colony, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to Amy. It's what I need to do. And they're like, you're going to die. You want to be dead? You want to be roach lunch? Yeah. They tell him, you know, hey, buddy, that's super noble. Um, but you are not equipped for the surface. A- an experienced person would be lucky to survive 50 miles. And you're doing almost double that. Um, but Joel's mind is made up. He goes and packs his shit and everything. Like, right that minute. Right. He packs a crossbow. He mm-hmm. packs a a radio that's out of battery. Mm-hmm. And he packs some food. And he heads out. And listen, everyone in his colony says goodbye because they're like, this poor little marshmallow, he's not, he's going to be dead soon. Our sweet little cinnamon roll is going to get snatched up. He's going to be a snack for like some cricket out there. Yeah. They even made him a map to help him along his way. And per their predictions, Joel makes it not far before he immediately almost gets snatched by a garden toad that is now the size of a large vehicle. Yeah. Oh, my God. This thing is terrifying. So the toad snaps its tongue out to grab Joel. And I mean, he's basically a goner at this point. But then out of nowhere, this dog, this angel of a dog comes up and starts chewing on the toad's tongue. So the toad lets go. And this dog saves Joel. Yeah, he leads him to safety. um, And it's uh, a bus that was turned into like a little RV type thing. So the dog leads Joel away from the toad who just kind of bounces off. And... Joel follows this dog into the bus, and it's obvious that whoever owned this dog is now gone. This bus slash, like, camper thing was Uh their home. Yeah, and the dog is really sad. He has his owner's dress. He carries it around like a baby blanket. Joel tries to touch it, and the dog is like, I think the fuck not. You ever watch? You have a dog, right? Yeah. You ever watch movies with like really sweet dogs like this and then you kind of look at your dog a little differently like you are not a pain in my ass. You love me. I do. There's sometimes where I'll, you know, I'll look at dogs and be like, oh, look how smart they can be. And then I see mine like growling at her tail and I'm like, but not this one. (laughs) Not this one. Mine is different. (laughs) Meeting this dog is like the best thing that happens to Joel because they immediately become like inseparable, like best friends. Yeah, Joel spends the night on the dog's bus. His the dog's name is Boy, and he spends the night on Boy's bus. And then in the morning, Joel's like, "All right, Boy, you know, have a good life." He goes to leave, and the dog brings his dress with him, and is like, "No, I'll come." Yeah, they become inseparable. Like, the dog is now his dog, you know? This dog is his now. Joel desperately needs this dog because Joel does not know how to survive, and the dog does. I know. It comes in handy to have a dog with you because they have such great hearing. And Uh obviously, this dog has stayed alive by hiding when it hears things. So the dog starts warning Joel whenever he hears something so that they can hide. And yeah, and one of Joel's colony members before he left, he was like, listen, you can't fight, but you're small and you're fast, so run like hell. Yeah. Um, And that's probably what the dog has been doing. 
you know, just like, that's a whole lot of nope today. I'm going to go ahead and leave. Yeah. I'm going to head out. This whole time, by the way, that Joel is setting out his adventure on the surface, Mm -hmm. he's still writing letters to Amy. So it's kind of like his diary. Like, he's like, hey, Amy, I met a dog today. And he's like talking and walking and um, he falls into a hole. (laughs) Yeah, he falls into a, it's like a huge pit that's full of bones. Very obviously an animal lair. Uh-huh. A creature lair. Boy starts barking. Joel's trying to climb out when all of these worms with huge ma- mouths just sort of It's like they come through the wall, like through the dirt. Oh god, it's so terrifying. It's terrifying and Joel's like, "Oh shit." And then because of boy's barking, Somebody comes to save Joel. Um, It is a man and a little girl. They throw a rope down and they pull him out. Then they blow up the nest of what they call sand gobblers. They blow up the nest with a grenade. So here are two survivors that, you know, they saved Joel. But really, it was the dog that saved Joel because he alerted them to Joel being there. Yeah. And this is the second time in a row that the, well... Third time in the row that the dog saves Joel. The first time with was with the toad. The second mm-hmm. time the dog warned Joel, like Joel was trying to eat berries from a bush. Uh-huh. And the dog didn't let him. And they were poisonous berries. Yeah, he's like yanking on his pants and everything. Dude, if my dog saw me eating poisonous berries, I think she would just stare at me. Yeah. Like I don't think she would warn me against them. Um, and now for the third time, the dog has saved Joel. After they blow up the sand gobbler nest with the grenade, they almost shoot the dog because they just hear something rustling in the bushes. And then the little girl, her name is Minnow, she's like, oh my god, a puppy. Yeah. And she is eight. It has been seven years since everything went down. So this little girl has spent her whole life in the apocalypse. I didn't even think about that because so when I first saw them, it's like this very um, rough looking guy with this little uh-huh. girl. And you just assume that they're father and daughter, but they're not. Um, And you have like that child is built different. She is. Yeah. And they're like, where's your colony, man? Why aren't you with your colony? And he's like, oh, I left my colony. And they're like, did you steal food? Yeah, they don't believe him. They're like, you stole food, didn't you? He's like, no, because they can't believe that someone would leave the safety of a colony to just go out on their own. Like nobody would leave the safety of a colony without getting like forced out, probably for stealing food. (laughs) The number one offense. And... He's like, no. And he tells them, like, I'm going to, you know, like the love of my life is at, you know, this beach in a colony and I'm traveling to go meet her. And they're like, oh, so you're dumb. Yeah. Oh, I get it. You're you're just not that bright. He's he's making a, a seven day journey over 90 miles um, for some booty. It's just booty that he hasn't seen in seven years. Yeah. And I remember watching this. I'm like, she's probably married with like three kids. Yeah, in all likelihood. So these two survivors, the man and the little girl, they tell Joel Uh that they're headed north to the mountains because there are fewer monsters there because it's colder. Yeah, it's colder. The altitude, like the monsters just don't survive as well. 
he's like, you should come with us. Yeah. He invites Joel to continue on with them. Because they're going in the same direction for a while. Yeah. So Joel declines because he has to go get his girl. But they do help him a lot. The little girl teaches him how to shoot. And which is hilarious because an eight-year-old is teaching a grown-ass man how to use a crossbow correctly. I know. Um, And she is also a blunt, feisty little thing. Uh, Both of these survivors, they they teach Joel some very basic survival Mm -hmm. skills that even people in his colony didn't know. Yeah. Because they lived underground for so long and only came up for a short amount of time. Versus these two, these two survivors, they've been on the surface the whole time. Yeah, and a monster at this point has Joel's scent. And they they hear it coming for him, but it's slow, so it's still pretty far away. But it is coming, and it will eventually catch up with them. Mm-hmm. They see this giant snail that's, like you said, the size of a school bus. Yeah. And what they do is... They take the man takes Joel's shirt off of him and puts it on the snail to make the scent go in a different direction. The snail is not bad. And Joel is actually yeah. surprised that the snail is not carnivorous like every other freaking bug is. The man tells him, you can always tell in their eyes. So some of these animals have it mutated into like enjoying human flesh. Some of them are just trying to live their damn lives, you know? They're just like, I'm a snail that's the size of an SUV. Like, calm down. I'm just going about my day. Yeah, like, listen, I'm not going to stomp on you. You're not going to cut my head off. We're good. <laughs> hey, bro? Um, And this is kind of, this shakes Joel a little bit because he doesn't, he always thought of all monsters as bad. And this really gives him a new perspective that, like, wait a minute, can we cohabitate? I don't know. I think it's such a slippery slope to tell someone like, oh, not all monsters are bad. You can always tell in their eyes. It's like, I'm sorry. If there is a gigantic freaking snail or a spider in front of me, I'm not going to take the extra few seconds to stare into their eyes and be like, are you kind or are you foe? <laughs> you know? I I mean... Yeah, I think it's a skill that you would really have to acquire, you know, to be able to know what the eyes mean. So along their travels, they're teaching Joel a lot. Joel is now pretty effective with his crossbow. You know, he can hit a target. They're teaching him survival skills, you know, um, the poisonous berries. They're telling him about healing um, plants out there in case he gets stung. You know, he's learning a lot from these badasses who have survived the surface for a long time. So the cool thing is that Joel, this whole time, like the past seven years that he has been living underground, he has been making sketches in a book of everything that he knows about the monsters. So every time he comes across one, he sketches it out and writes information about it. Yeah, he... um. He writes, you know, their strengths, their weaknesses, um, how it was killed. So it's, it's a survival his, guide. It's like a it's like a yeah. cheat sheet for other humans. It is. And I think that's something else that Joel is useful for is documenting stuff that I think a lot of other people probably wouldn't think of. 
I think he's not seeing his worth. Like when you objectively, when uh-huh. you look at it, he really was contributing a lot to his colony and he just didn't see it that way. Yeah. And it's because he wasn't conforming to like a normal like gender role. Um, but honestly, like look at your children. Do you think that in 10 years, both of them are going to be out there with crossbows? Listen, I'll tell you what. I think in the event of an apocalypse, gender roles need to be flushed down the toilet. Yeah. I think grandma needs to have a crossbow. I think grandma needs to be like grandma (laughs) can't be like, but I'm grandma. I need to be making jam. It's like, no, grandma, we need to go hunt for food. Like, get it together or you're out of the colony. (laughs) Like, we we can't spare the food. Like, not today. Not today. One of the other big lessons that they teach Joel is you can get a hot meal or you can get sleep, but not both. Nope. And the reason is if you are cooking, animals are going to smell it. And so then you can't Uh fall asleep because then they're going to come eat you. And you got to move away from the smell. Yeah. But if you're sleeping, obviously you can't eat because you need to stay in one place. Right. And that's really hard for Joel because they sit there and they build a fire and they get nice and cozy and they eat and then they're like, all right, let's go. Not both. Get up. <laughs> yeah, we got to go. We got to go. And he's like, I'm so freaking tired. Yeah. So eventually uh, the survivors and Joel, they get to the point where they have to part ways because they're headed north and he's headed west. Um, uh-huh. Again, they invite him to join them. And he says, no, I have to find Amy, my Amy. Oh, Amy, I love you. So they part ways, but they give Joel a grenade and they tell him like, hey, when you pull it, count to five. Not four, not six, five. Not four, not six, five. Dude, the pressure. I would I would overthink this so much. I would be like, wait, is it one Mississippi or one, two, three? Like, I yeah. would overthink it and just blow up. Oh, for sure. Um, Almost immediately after they part ways, Joel almost gets snatched by a giant centipede. That um, is easily 20 feet long. Have you ever seen the Langdeliers? No. So these remind me of the creatures in the Langdeliers, where it's like just like that circular mouth full of teeth. Oh, my God. Why is that always the most terrifying kind of creature? Like, you don't need that many teeth. Like, what the fuck are you eating? I think it's because you they don't know which way is... Like, you don't know which way is up. Like... Where are their eyes? Oh, stop. Oh, my God. No, I don't like it. I'm going to start killing them now. Anything, you know what? I'm changing my stance on bugs. Anything that will terrify me when it's large is now going to die. So, like, butterflies, you're good. Ants, eh. Centipedes, fucking squishing you. I don't know. I'd probably still kill ants. Definitely wasps. I already kill wasps. Because they serve no purpose. They don't pollinate flowers. They're just like agents of hell. Hmm. Do you want to deal with an angry wasp that no, I don't. is as tall as you are? Listen, I am not advocating for wasp lives. I'm just saying that I am scared of wasps when they're tiny. Like, I wouldn't try to kill a wasp because I'm terrified of them. Oh, you, no, you get air freshener and a lighter and then you just blowtorch them. Holy shit, Courtney. What the fuck? I'm not getting near it. So 
again, the dog sort of helps Joel get away from this monster because Boy knows how to survive and Joel barely knows how to survive. And they make it to what looks like an old motel. Yeah, it's an abandoned motel. They're walking past it and it's raining and Joel tells Boy that he hasn't felt rain in seven years. Again, Boy is the dog. It's not just a random boy that popped up. (laughs) He talks to the dog. (laughs) Joel tells the dog that he hasn't felt rain in seven years and he just looks so happy to be soaking wet right now, you know? Yeah, that's really sweet. Um, they go, they take shelter in this motel and they find a freaking robot. Yeah, they're called the Mavis robots and they were supposed to be the next big thing, you know, that every household has. It really reminds me of Rosie from the Jetsons. Yes, yes. She turns on when she senses a human and she's like, hello, I am Mavis. But when you spell it, you would use a one. Instead of an I, what are you doing here? She's a little rough uh, as far yeah. as like, you know, you could tell she hasn't been, she hasn't had Wi-Fi access in, in almost a decade. So yeah, she's... <laughs> she hasn't. And, you know, she tells him that she has, you know, 51 minutes of power left. Yeah. And she would be delighted if he would spend those last minutes of her life with him. Oh, my God. He, she actually offers to allow him to charge his radio because remember he brought along a radio yeah. that was dead and so he does he plugs his radio into this robot and he is able to talk to Amy um, he makes contact with Amy Amy is like so first of all she is shocked that he is headed to her because he didn't even tell her yeah she's like oh fuck I mean it's sounding increasingly awkward because he's like yes. Amy I'm coming to I'm coming for you and Amy's like oh god uh I didn't realize that <laughs> Yeah she was like oh you know like uh I I didn't realize we were that serious okay um listen it's been 7 years oh my god Well she tells him that other survivors have reached her colony and she sounds really excited about them. She says that they are promising to lead them to safety and they came on a yacht. <laughs> yeah, she's like a yacht captain and he's like, what? A what do you mean a fucking captain? yacht captain? Oh, no. Um, And then the radio cuts off mid-conversation and the Mavis tells Joel that Sorry, my battery automatically starts to turn off like non-essential things when I'm down to 15 minutes of power left. So the robot dies. um, And so now Joel is kind of, he's obviously, he's still headed to Amy's colony, but he is concerned about this this new arrival, that there is this yacht captain. He just thinks it sounds super sus. It sounds super sus. You could tell he's a little bit worried that the guy might be hot. And might steal Amy away from him. Well, Amy talked about the yacht captain like he was a deity, you know? Yeah. So the next day, Joel and the dog, uh, they're attacked by a sand gobbler. And sand gobblers, they live underground and they sense the vibration of like footsteps or sounds. And then they pop up from the ground. 
And this isn't just the sand gobblers from earlier, you know, which were probably about the size of your arm. Right. This is the queen sand gobbler, which from what I can tell is probably about as long as my house is. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it has the circular teeth thing that you're talking about. Uh Uh-huh. And it also has like uh, face tentacles. It's it's horrific. It is disgusting. They thought that they hid from it. Joel and the dog, you know, were hiding behind a tree trunk and like in a hollow tree trunk. The sand gobblers started going in a different direction. So Joel thought they were pretty safe. But in all of this action, Joel dropped his backpack and the dog's uh, comfort dress fell out and went into the water. I know it's his security blanket. Remember, this is the only thing that the dog has that has it his owner's, his old owner's scent. And the dog runs out to get it. And Joel is mm-hmm. like, oh my God, no. So obviously the sand gobbler, the queen sand gobbler feels the vibration on the ground and she turns around and starts coming toward them again. Yeah. And Joel uh, pulls the pin out of the one grenade he has, you know, he pulls the pin, but then he drops the whole goddamn thing. It's so funny because he remembers that he's supposed to count to five and he's like, uh-huh. one, two. And then he drops it. He's like, Fuck. and he picks it up. And he's like, four. Yeah, he's like, three, four, five. And then he just kind of like throws it and prays mm-hmm. and he throws it right into the queen sand gobbler's mouth. And she goes, boom. Yeah, blows her into a ton of pieces. So great job. Unfortunately, Joel is blown into the water, Uh into the lake. When he comes out of it, he has slugs stuck to his body or like leeches, some sort of weird. Yeah, they're like slug leeches. And he probably has what, like almost 10 on him. Right. And... You know, he gets them all off of him. He's soaking wet. He's dirty. He gets all of these slug leeches off of him. And then he loses his ever-loving shit on the dog. He's like, this is all your fault. Yeah. You know, and he just yells at him. And the dog takes his dress and is like, fine, fuck you. (laughs) The dog did. The dog just leaves. He takes his dress and leaves. You know what? That was so... um... That was not cool, Joel. This dog saved your life so many times. And the first time you save his life, you get to yell at him. Well, pretty quickly, Joel realizes that the slugs that were on him were kind of, they, they, I don't know, they poisoned him or something. Yeah, I think it was some sort of like venom or whatnot. And he starts having what looks like an acid trip, you know? It's all like wavy and... Everything looks like it's moving. He's definitely having some adverse effects to the bites. He turns almost gray and you could tell that he is dying. And Uh he remembers that the two survivors he met earlier told him that there is a specific plant that has anti-venom in it. And he sees that plant and he just shoves a handful into his mouth. Uh Uh-huh. And then he just lays down in it. Yeah. At this point, I'm not sure if this was a hallucination at first or if this was really happening because Joel sort of going in and out of consciousness and he looks up and he sees Amy. Yeah. 
And she looks like a dream. Like she looks yes. so beautiful. And she tells him that she's so glad to see him. And like, oh my God, you made it all this way for me. It's the reunion he really wants with Amy is what he's seeing right now. Right. And then he starts making out with her and he kind of fist pumps the air like this is his happily ever uh-huh. after. And then he passes out. And when he wakes up, he's in Amy's colony. Um, Amy did find him. But it wasn't Amy that he kissed. He he kissed old Pete. He kissed so he was hallucinating that this random old guy was Amy. So when you think about it, it's really disturbing that this yeah. old guy just came up to this kid that's dying and he's trying to help him. And then the kid just starts making out with him. And this guy probably hasn't seen action in a long time. And he's probably like, you know what? I, I will allow it. <laughs> This will stay between us. <laughs> this will be just between you and me. <laughs> it's our little secret. Um, <laughs> but it's also clear once Joel comes to that, one, Amy is in charge of her colony. She is the leader. She is a badass. So she is playing the medic. She's playing the engineer. Like She's treating people in a little makeshift clinic. And then people uh-huh. are calling her to fix things. Yeah, and also it looks like everybody else in her colony is older. They're all elderly people, you know? Yeah, it's kind of hard to wrap my head around how this worked. Do you know what I mean? Uh Like, I get it. It's been seven years, but you don't become elderly in seven years, you know? Yeah, I mean, well, they were all probably older people. And she probably found, you know... A nursing home, or not nursing home, but she probably probably found like a retirement community there in California where they are, um, full of a whole bunch of scared old people. And she's like, "Come with me, I'll lead you. Come with me. More mouths to feed, just what we need." Yeah, and it's also clear that aside from being the leader here, she's also not too excited to see Joel. Again, it's so, it reads like an awkward text message. It's just, he is so happy to see her, so excited. And she's just kind of like, this is a bad time. I got shit to do. I'm busy. We're in the, we're, we're in the apocalypse. Like, what do you expect? I mean, she doesn't, she's not mean about it, but you could just tell she doesn't have time for Joel. She's like, Joel, I have responsibilities. There's people here that count on me. Like, I have to go fix the water pipe. I'll be right back. Yeah. And he follows her outside. And this is where he's introduced to Captain or Cap. Right. Because remember, Amy's colony got visitors from these survivors that came in a yacht. And the plan is that these yacht people are going to take Amy's colony on the yacht and take them to safety. Uh Uh-huh. So they're all packing up. Yeah, they're packing up their whole colony to leave. So they're getting all the essentials that they need. And she's like, hey, she's like, this is Capt, who is an Australian hottie. And I will admit, Capt is hot. Yeah, yeah. I would have followed him too. I would have been in the same position. I don't blame her. You want me to follow you on a ship? I hate ships and I get seasick. Which way do we go? Like, yeah, hold my hands. <laughs> like the accent, the pure big dick energy that he walks around with. I'd have been like, yes. It's funny because when Joel sees him, Joel is like, oh, crap. Yeah, his whole face is like, oh, I'm fucked. That's yeah. I came all this way for nothing. 
Um, and he sees that, and then there's he has two crew members. Cap mm-hmm. does. One is a huge bulky dude that really reminds me of Kingsley Shacklebolt from Harry Potter. Yeah. And then the other one is another Laura Croft type chick. She engineered a freaking hand cannon. Like it's a cannon uh-huh. that is strapped to her forearm. And she looks like a freaking video game character. Yeah, she looks... This woman just... She looks like a badass. They all look like badasses, okay? Yeah. And she looks like she's already tired of everyone's shit. And is, you know, a centimeter away from just blowing everybody up. So, it, you know, obviously Amy's colony is really excited, all these elderly people, to be whisked away on a yacht. Uh Uh-huh. Joel calls his colony via radio to check on them. Yeah, to let them know that he's safe. They are surprised. Like, it's almost offensive how surprised they are. (laughs) They're like, holy shit, you're alive. They keep saying it over and over again, like they're being punked, like they can't believe it. They're like, wait, Joel? Like our Joel? Like our Joel that can't can't fucking fight worth a damn? Like our Joel? Yeah. Like, what soup did you make? <laughs> Prove it to you. <laughs> um, he's talking to them, and while, you know, he's talking to his colony, you know, because he really misses them. They were his family. Yeah, but they also tell him that they're they're not doing too well. They're telling him that they're going to have to leave because their colony, their bunker, keeps getting breached by, by creatures. And before Joel left, they lost one person that day, and they can't take a chance of losing more people. Yeah. So they're going to have to find a new colony. When Joel was talking to, you know, his people... Somebody from Amy's colony comes up and hands Joel a plate of food and says, hey, Capt thought you might be hungry. You know, we're having a going away party tonight, so you should uh, head out there, you know, once you're done talking to your colony. And Joel looks at the food on the plate and realizes that it has the poison berries on it. Also, he thinks back to some of the stories that the captain guy told him when they first met. And the Uh captain guy was bragging about these creatures that he fought. But Joel Uh remembers what the two survivors he had met earlier in his journey told him. And it didn't match up to what the captain was describing these creatures. Yeah, the captain had said that um, these lizard creatures climbed over a 20-foot wall. But the man that the survival man that Joel was traveling with was giving him all these tips. And one of them was the lizard ones can't climb worth shit. So that, along with the poison berries, made Joel realize, like, this yacht guy is trying to poison me and he's also a fucking liar. I call Cap. Hey, Cap. Yeah. I call Cap. <laughs> Called Cap on Capped. So he, Joel runs outside and he's like, oh, shit. He runs outside and he finds Amy and Amy, along with everybody else, is drunk as fuck. She is, I'm not going to lie, it looks like fun, okay? She's a giggly mess. He's trying to warn her and she's just like booping his nose, like, Yeah. (laughs) And she's like, oh, Jolie Joel, you're so cute. (laughs) Oh. And it's... You know, Joel is trying to argue with a drunk person to begin with. You know, trying to get them to see sense is hard. And like we said, Amy is really fucked up. And this is probably the first beer she's had in seven years. Yeah. 
Um, this is probably the most fun she's had in seven years. I know. You know what, Amy? You deserve it. Just enjoy it. Yeah. And as Joel's trying to be like, Amy, Amy, listen to me. Look me in the eyes. Laura Croft hand cannon lady comes over and just punches him right in the face. Yeah, knocks Joel out. When he wakes up, he and Amy, along with the rest of her colony, are tied up on the beach. And this is where our Australian yacht captain reveals his his secret plan. He gives us his villain monologue. Yeah, this is his villain monologue. And he's like, hey, Joel, sorry about the punch to the face. Um, I heard you talking shit about us on the radio. Um, and I couldn't really have you warning anybody uh, because as soon as we dispose of you guys and take all your supplies, we're going to move down to the next unsuspecting colony down the coast and do the same thing to them. So they're these yacht people. It's so freaking mm-hmm. weird. So there's, you know, again, there's three of them. There's the captain. There's the Laura Croft looking bitch. And then there's just the giant, uh, the big bodyguard looking dude. And so uh-huh. what they do is they have their yacht because they, they, they don't have any gas, any sort of fuel. They don't have fuel for their yacht. And so what they do is they have this giant crab monster uh-huh. hooked up to a chain and towing their yacht across the ocean. Yeah. And he has this this contraption that sends electrical shocks through the chain to train this crab to pull it so the crab knows it will get punished if it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. And apparently uh, the way they feed this crab is by allowing the crab to eat the colonies that they Uh basically steal from. Yeah. And, you know, they bring this crab up to the shore to show them, you know, hey... This is how you're going to die. Thanks for your generous donation to our lives. And then Arm Cannon Laney blows up their radio tower. So So they can't call for help. Yeah, they can't call for help and they can't warn people. When this crab monster, again, it is gigantic. It's like three school buses. It's huge. It's huge. And when this crab monster just came out of the ocean, my first thought was... Yum. Could yes. they somehow find a way to, you know, cook this crab, like eat it? Um, uh-huh. You know what I mean? If they can find a way to, to kill it, they can eat for like a month. Um, and then I realized it is it's giant because it has mutated from like all of this toxic stuff. So it's probably not safe to eat. Yeah, you probably shouldn't eat the monsters. It reminds me of any time I take my mom to an aquarium, she just goes around talking about what kind of seasoning she would put on the different fish. No, you're lying. I swear to God, my mom goes like, mm, eso sería tan rico, con un poco de sal, un poco de sazón. <laughs> like she just, it's so funny. She starts just like, <laughs> but it's in Spanish, so like most people can't understand her, but she's just going around like talking about how she would season each fish. And I'm like, mom, this is horrible. Stop. <laughs> your mom's looking at fish like i will eat the shit out of you <laughs> yeah she's like i would eat the shit out of you i would eat the shit out of you <laughs> i would eat your whole family <laughs> yeah you should probably check your mom's pockets the next time you leave an aquarium she oh my god like a, can... she just has like a lobster in her purse <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine so yeah giant crab monster coming up to the beach and amy's colony is tied up 
Yeah, and they, Captain Crew, are, they're escaping. Um, They're trying to escape, you know, the beach. And Amy and Joel get free. You know, Amy's like, Joel, you know what? You take the crab. I can handle these three assholes. So she just goes to take on all three humans on her own. Yo, Amy is a freaking badass. Holy cow. Yeah. No fear. No fear. She grabs a a metal plate and she runs up to the bodyguard looking dude who starts shooting at her. But she blocks it with, with with the metal plate. And then she just knocks him out with it. Oh, yeah. Not today. She's like, this is my colony. Not today, motherfuckers. Not today. And then she gets into, like, hand-to-hand combat with the Laura Craft lady with a freaking cannonball on her arm. Yeah. uh, She wrestles the cannon away from the lady's arm. You know, she gets it off of her arm. And at this point, um, the three yacht members are like, hey, we should let the crab finish off these people and then we'll come back to shore Mm -hmm. and raid it after they're dead, you know? And so they get on a boat and a little boat and they head back to the yacht. And all the while they're shocking this crab with their contraption to train it and keep it in line. Um, Amy tosses the cannon to Joel. She's like, shoot it, Joel, shoot it. Yeah. Cause this whole time that Amy has been fighting the crew of the yacht Joel has been trying to fight the crab. He's been trying to stab it. He's been trying to, um, like, subdue it. He finally has the arm cannon, and he cocks it, and he knows that if he shoots this crab inside of the mouth that it's going Uh. to die. But then when he looks into the crab's eyes, he's reminded of something. Yeah, he's reminded of what the guy he met, the survival guy, told him, is that you can always tell in the eyes and this crab's eyes just look so sad and painful. I mean, it's got like the cute, it, the, the crab's eyes are saying, I don't want to do this, but I'm being forced to. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't want to eat you guys. I don't want to be here. I don't want to pull their goddamn boat. Um, And so Joel, he takes a risk. And instead of shooting the crab, he shoots the chain, holding the crab to the boat. And when he does that, he tells the crab, you are free. And magically, the crab speaks English because the crab Mm -hmm. is like, bet. And it goes back into the water, goes straight to where the the yacht people are. And the yacht people are trying to push the button to electrify the crab again. And it's not working because the chain is cut. Yeah. Um, And that crab goes directly to that boat, eats all three of those MFers, And then tears the yacht apart. Yeah, you know, I would say, obviously the crab has a taste for humans because it has eaten humans before and it obviously Uh just ate the crew members. Granted, it did it out of revenge, but Uh I would say it's probably not safe to have a carnivorous crab walking around. I mean, honestly, like, it's probably going to stay in the water. When, until it's hungry, Courtney, and then it's going to be like, look, I, I'm really glad you guys saved me, but I am uh, hungry. So, <laughs> <laughs> You know what? That's a risk they were willing to take. I'm just saying. Yeah. And so Amy and Joel have saved the colony. 
and Amy's just like, oh my God, Joel, now she's into him. Now she's yeah. into him. She's like, ooh, baby. She's like, he is a provider. He is a fighter. You know what? It's so, it, it really is true that our kind of what we look for in men would uh-huh. really change in an apocalypse. Like the bar oh, will yeah. be really fucking high, like really high. Making sleep and fixing radios is not going to cut it. No, that's not going to cut it, honey. You need to be able to protect me from a giant mutant crab. Yeah, saving me from a mutated crab and three people trying to kill us, like that makes the cuts. <laughs> honey. <laughs> that does it. Amy yeah. is feeling him. Do they kiss? Yeah, they kiss. Yeah, they get a they get a little tongue action. It's their first time kissing in seven years. And they're like, wow, that was amazing. Yeah. Which, honestly, that's probably the most action Joel has gotten in seven years. Well, he did kiss the old guy by mistake, so. I mean, And honestly, to be honest, that kiss seemed more passionate. So I'm just saying, I think Joel has some self-discovery to do, but I'm not going to talk about it here. Yeah. um, And (laughs) (laughs) moving on. (laughs) Um. But Joel tells Amy that he has to go back to his colony, that he doesn't belong, that he belongs there and he needs to go help them. It's really interesting to me because, you know, he came all this way for her. And in the beginning of the movie, he was motivated simply because he wanted to find love. Uh And then he found the woman he loves. And he's like, you know what? This is nice, but this is not enough. Like, I have a bigger purpose in life. Yeah. And, you know, there's other people that he loves and those people are his colony and they need his help right now. Yeah. So Joel gives Amy his notebook, his survival guide. He also tells her that he and his colony are probably going to be headed north to the mountains. Yeah. Because there's less monsters there. So the chances of them meeting again is not zero. It's not zero. And I, after Joel goes back to his colony and gets them prepared to go to the mountains, it also shows Amy and her colony leaving their bunker. And it's probably to go to the mountains. Okay, so I'm sure they found safety in the mountains and I'm sure they're doing much better. And hopefully Joel and Amy found each other and rekindled uh-huh. their romance. I don't see Amy popping out babies. She seems like she's really busy, a little too busy for that. Yeah. Maybe. But I just don't really know what the future holds. And I guess I always feel like this in, in post-apocalyptic worlds where it's like, yeah, you're really just surviving. It's just surviving. Which, I mean, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's just surviving. They're just going to a place where it's a little bit easier to survive, you know? It just doesn't seem like there's any hope for a better world because even if we wanted to now, we couldn't get rid of all the bugs in the world and all the creatures in the world, let alone when they are the size of school buses. Yeah, no, it's 100% agree with you. Well, yeah, that's where the movie leaves us. And like I said, it's called Love and Monsters, but it was very heavy on the monsters. But I liked it. <laughs> it. It was cute. I really, I enjoyed seeing it from a male perspective because he's the one smitten here and she's the one that's like, I don't know, maybe. Yeah. To be fair, Joel is really hot. Like, he is really, really cute. I'm surprised she wasn't more into him. Because it's not like she had other options. She lived in a colony where there were just a bunch of, you know, elderly people. Like, I'm really shocked that she wasn't more excited to see Joel's fine ass walking into her colony. Uh, 
you know what? I don't want to like judge her, but like same. Like, you know? <laughs> All right, guys. The teapot is empty for today. Don't worry. More is brewing it on the way. We'll be back next week with another episode. Yes, please leave a review if you enjoy our podcast. And uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.